Hey, what's up? It's Gustavo Ariano, and you're listening to The Times, essential news from the LA Times. Today, episode three of A Line in the Land from our friends at Texas Public Radio and the Houston Chronicle. It's a podcast that explores the human story behind the Haitian immigration journey. It's Tuesday, August 16th, 2022. To get to the U.S. border from South America, Haitians have to trek through an isolated stretch of jungle in Central America called the Darien Gap. In this episode, Haitian migrants take listeners with them on a forested journey like no other. By the way, if you haven't listened to the first two episodes, you should go back and do that first. And we'll be back with episode four next Tuesday. We're airing an episode from A Line in the Land every Tuesday through the end of the month. Hey, there are episodes of Line in the Land in English and in Spanish. This is the English version. Para escuchar en español, vuelve al feed para encontrar la versión con el título La Línea. It's a cloudy November morning in the quiet beach town of Necocli on the northwest coast of Colombia. Haitian men, women, and children wait to board a boat docked nearby. We're here at the beach on the coast. There's a group of around 40 people in black and bright yellow life vests that say Perla 2. All the migrants appear to be from Haiti. It took thousands of miles for these families to get this far. The toughest part of the journey is ahead of them. Men carry small tents and large plastic water jugs. They have backpacks and thick trash bags to keep their stuff dry. They line up and start boarding the boat. It will take them north from this little coastal city in northwest Colombia across the Gulf of Uraba, closer to Colombia's border with Panama. They've already dealt with price gouging, extortion, and discrimination, but they haven't seen the corpses yet. Thousands of Haitians have lined these beaches to begin the trek up through Central America to the U.S.-Mexico border. To get there, they have to come here first. Then they move northward through a section of dangerous jungle known as the Darien Gap. In 2021 alone, more than 100,000 Haitians and their kids hiked this difficult, beautiful terrain. Dozens did not make it out alive. The Missing Migrants Project confirmed at least 51 people died in the Darien Gap in 2021, though they say that's almost certainly an undercount. Many of those that survived this deadly journey made it to the Texas border with Mexico in Del Rio. It's part of an immigration story that spans more than a decade and crosses continents. Texas Public Radio and the Houston Chronicle spent months reporting on this story. We went to Mexican migrant shelters and even got a taste of the Darien Gap. We spoke with Haitians across the Americas, in person, through WhatsApp, and video calls. The people who can best tell this story. Who can help us understand why so many people took this perilous journey, what they faced along the way. And how immigration policies in the Americas played such a pivotal and, in some cases, devastating role in their lives. 
I'm Joey Palacios with Texas Public Radio. And I'm Elizabeth Trobal with the Houston Chronicle. This is Episode 3 of Line in the Land. To understand the journey Haitians took to get to the U.S.-Mexico border, it's vital to understand the journey through the Darien Gap, a heavily forested stretch of land and a literal gap. Here's a cheesy 1960s travel video, Daring the Darien. North America and South America will someday be joined by the Pan American Highway. Someday. In the way right now stands the world's worst roadblock on the world's greatest highway. The video is about a crew who tried to drive Chevrolet Corvairs from North to South America. Because ahead lies the impassable jungle between North and South America, one of the least explored jungles in the world today. The Darien, with thousands of square miles of tropical forests. It's a 66-mile break in the 19,000-mile Pan American Highway, which runs from southern South America into the United States. It is called impassable because it is filled with rugged hills, valleys, and mountains, tricky uncharted rivers, and an almost endless succession of treacherous ravines and gullies. Okay, I know this video is a bit much, but as you can hear, crossing the gap was tough even for this fancy crew. And to this day, the Darien Gap is still one of the world's most forbidding passages. Because the gap in the highway still hasn't been filled thanks to logistical and environmental concerns and a desire to keep out animal diseases. But tens of thousands of Haitians have made this so-called impassable journey on foot. On the way, they face a number of life-threatening dangers. Armed groups, deep rivers, venomous animals with no roads, hospitals, or electricity. A tourist boat takes me and Houston Chronicle photographer Marie de Jesus across the Gulf of Uraba. We arrive in the small town of Acandí, Colombia, where the journey towards the Darien Gap continues. This is where we meet our guide, Toribio. We're sitting here on the porch of our guide, um, who's going to take us to the Las Decas, the camp where a lot of the Haitians are camping before they enter the, the Darien Gap. Gap. Toribio um, grabs his so bag and we make our way up the road. Uh, it's midday and hot. We're cajoled into paying for a ride on a horse-drawn wooden cart. It's five of us, me and Marie, our guide, the driver Carmen, and a Cuban migrant. We take off towards the muddy, bright green hills. We pass by other migrants along the way. A Haitian family, also on a horse and cart, Venezuelan men on foot. The thousands of migrants who have paid for a ride up these hills and other services have been a windfall here in one of the poorest areas of the country. It's still light out when we get to Las Tecas camp. Here, the only shelters are tents and tarps held up by wooden posts. Music is blaring. 
We're at a clearing before the terrain gets forested and unruly, where the Darien Gap unofficially begins. At the camp, locals sell food, water, alcohol, and even Wi-Fi to the night's guests. It's surprisingly festive. Near a makeshift bar, a couple Syrian men are hanging out. One of them, Ashraf al says he left Syria after his grandma died when he was a kid. He went to live with his dad, who worked in Venezuela. That was fine for a while, but things got really bad as the country's economy went into a tailspin. He didn't have a visa to stay there either. I ask him, why go to the U.S.? The American dream, he says. The U.S. is the only country that's going to give the freedom that one needs, the freedom to work, to live, to enjoy what you're doing. And he says he has family in Philly that wants him there. More groups arrive throughout the evening and set up camp, mostly by nationality. Tonight, it's mostly Haitians, Syrians, and Venezuelans. The Venezuelan young men are boisterous and lively, and they're super skinny. They joke that the only reason to go to Venezuela is to lose weight. On the other hand, the Haitians are more reserved and arrive with families. Haitian mothers sit cross-legged inside their camping tents, tending to their small children. The men stand outside protectively and talk. It's dark when Jean-Jean-Baptiste arrives at the camp with his wife and son. He's still getting a lay of the land when I chat with him, asking about what time they depart in the morning. He's tall and somehow full of energy. Originally from Haiti, he's traveling through the Darien Gap after eight years in Curitiba, a city in southern Brazil. He says Haiti isn't safe, and it's even worse today. In Haiti, he says, a chicken has more value than a human does. He moved to Brazil to escape the insecurity, like many Haitians did in the 2010s. He found work at an outback steakhouse. He admits life wasn't bad, but it was hard to get ahead on the minimum wage of around $200 per month. Jean-Baptiste smiles a lot as he talks, even as he explains that his family is totally broke already. He spent his last $300 to pay for a guide to take them to the Panamanian border. The journey has been pricey, around $3,000 for the three of them. He says it's corrupt local police that are taking most of the money. Officials threaten to turn them back to where they came from if they don't pay up. 
He traveled from Brazil through Bolivia, Peru, Ecuador, and Colombia to get here. Now, he says he's worried if the money he paid will really get him to the Panamanian border. There's no money-back guarantee if he doesn't make it. At one point, he actually asks me if he's being lied to. I tell him he's probably in good hands, but the truth is, I don't know for sure. We'll be back in the Dottie and Gap after this break. We're back. In 2021, 83,000 Haitians and an additional 18,000 children of Haitians born in Brazil and Chile made this journey. That's according to stats from Panama's southern border with Colombia. It's nearly three times the number that made the same journey during the entire previous decade. It's not just Haitians. Panamanian border authorities have a long list of nationalities they've seen crossing into their southern border on their way to the United States. Some have traveled shockingly far from their home countries. Lilia Cordova is a local official who handles migration issues. She's seen at least 10 nationalities pass through. She says there are mostly Haitians, but also Cubans, Chileans, Brazilians. Africans from Eritrea and the Congo, also Indians and Afghans. All in search of a better life. But in that search, death or injury may be just around the corner in the Dadian Gap. 328 sexual assaults and 86 cases of other violence have been reported in this area from April to the end of 2021, according to Doctors Without Borders. Half of sexual violence survivors were Haitian. Cordoba shares horrific stories she's heard over audio messages about people who have died along the way. She remembers one woman who was traveling alone with her two daughters around ages three and five. I told the woman that it won't go well for her, Cordoba says. She doesn't have someone to help her carry the two girls. The woman pushed ahead into the jungle anyway. Cordova checked on her. She was in contact with someone else in their group. They told her the mother died along the way. And these girls, she says, nobody is going to claim them. Who knows what will happen? But... The forest can also be a place for small miracles. In Las Tecas camp, Andres Mesa says he likes his work guiding migrants through the jungle. It's a good way for locals like him to earn a living. And it's a way to help others. 
He beams as he shows a photo of a woman in a camping tent who had just given birth here in Las Tecas not long ago. It was a crazy, beautiful experience, he says. The camp at night is breathtaking. The stars are so bright above. The blaring music is finally turned off. It's up to the frogs and bugs to serenade the sleeping camp. It's still dark out when some of the Haitian families wake up. Small children cry inside the tents. Pans clink over crackling fires as migrants prepare breakfast ahead of the tiresome journey. As the sun rises, the curvaceous forested hills in the distance start to take form. The bright green grass is dewy. Birds call out enthusiastically, and people start taking down their tents and begin to pack. Some chat in Haitian Creole and Spanish. There's a group praying right now of about 10 people. They're all holding hands and standing in a circle before the journey. Nearby, 24-year-old Jesus Fernandez from Venezuela shows me his bag filled with the few belongings he has to make this multi-day trek. A sweater, a shirt, his ID. He's in the jungle after fleeing Venezuela. He says the government killed one of his best friends when they were out protesting. He says that was the straw that broke the camel's back. He vows never to return to the country until the government falls. He and his cousin had four suitcases when the journey started. Now they're down to a backpack, a suitcase, and their tent to travel light for the tough journey ahead. One of the guides yells out to the camp. It's time to head into the forest. We quickly say goodbye. The sun is up. We start walking up and down hills along muddy paths along rivers. Along with the migrants are local mochileros, or backpackers, helping carry bags through the jungle for a fee. It's not long before we cross our first river, one of many to come. After just 20 minutes or so, I'm out of breath. I take a breather with a group at the top of the hill and spot Jean-Jean-Baptiste, also a bit winded, but in high spirits. <laughs> He's wearing a blue Outback Steakhouse t-shirt and a headlamp. I ask him if his feet are wet, like mine. We don't really have the right gear for this kind of a trip. We chit-chat while catching our breath. 
It's just the beginning of the hike through the Darien Gap. Everyone is sweating and tired already. It's hard, but we're here. And surely we'll get through it, he says. <laughs> we say our goodbyes. Marie and I have to turn around. We didn't see the worst of what they faced, but we heard about how bad it got from other migrants, people like Dashka and Johnsoni Eugene, who we met in earlier episodes. Clearly, their memories of the journey are laced with trauma. I spoke to Eugene long after this trip. He says flat out if he had known the journey was so dangerous. Si sabía que la, la ruta era así. He never would have sold off his belongings in Chile and risked the lives of his wife and unborn daughter to come to the United States. He still finds it difficult to talk about what he saw. The murders, robberies, crime. The families forced to leave loved ones behind and forge ahead. He says he saw grotesque things there. Dead Haitians, Cubans, Venezuelans. He visto muchas personas muertas. Sometimes he had to step over corpses to continue the journey. He says anyone who makes it through this route to the U.S. is a hero. Cada persona que pasa por este camino que llega por aquí es un héroe. In Acuna, Mexico, Dashka says the journey wasn't all bad. She liked seeing so many different countries. But she also told reporter Stefania Corpi about the rushing rivers that would carry people away to their death. She remembers praying to get out alive. I talked to Dashka in November at a migrant shelter for Haitians. For weeks, this shelter was home for people like her, Haitians who didn't dare cross into the U.S. for fear of being sent back to Haiti. She shows me around the shelter, the tent where she slept, the communal kitchen, the cold, broken showers. She reflects on her journey through the Darien Gap. At one point in the jungle, a man with a gun stopped her and asked for money. She was on the ground crying. She told him she didn't have any money. Dashka says they let her go, unlike some others traveling with her. She doesn't know what happened with the people she left behind. She kept moving forward and didn't look back. This idea of having to keep moving forward and not look back, it speaks to this journey as a whole for so many Haitians. It's part of surviving. 
But for us to better understand what's going on, we have to look back at Haiti's history and relationship with the United States. We have a bad marriage. One the spouse, for whatever reason, want to mistreat the other. That's what USA is doing to Haiti. That's next time on Line in the Land. And that's it for this episode of The Times, essential news from the LA Times. Line in the Land is reported and produced by Elizabeth Troval, Sofia Sanchez, Stefania Corpi, and Joey Palacios. Their editor is Alyssa Barba. Cultural competency assessment by Miriam Chassi. Sound design and music by Jacob Rosati. Audio mixing by Bennett Smith, and special thanks to Dan Katz, Lily Thomas, and Maria Reeve. Line in the Land is a production of Texas Public Radio in collaboration with the Houston Chronicle. You can find and follow the show and binge all the episodes in season one on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Times is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Kasha Brasalian, David Toledo, and Ashley Brown. Our editorial assistants are Madeline Amaro and Carlos Deloera. Our engineers are Mario Diaz, Mark Nieto, and Mike Heflin. Our editor is Kinsey Moreland. Our executive producers are Hasmina Galera, Shani Hilton, and Hiba El Orbani, and our theme music is by Andrew Ethan. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news in this month. Gracias.